Shortly after the 1803 Louisiana Purchase, President Thomas Jefferson chose Meriwether Lewis to lead an expedition to map the newly acquired territory and find a water route to the Pacific Ocean. Lewis chose William Clark to join him in leading that mission. Their Corps of Discovery traveled for two years, covered more than 4,000 miles, and brought home key information about the land, the plants and animals, and the native peoples. We are joined now by Lanny Jones, an author and magazine editor who has written extensively about Lewis and Clark. Mr. Jones, thank you for being here. I'm very happy to. So when we think of Lewis and Clark, we tend to think of them together, right? Almost as one name on that great expedition. But of course, they were unique and different men. And I wanted to spend some time talking about them as individuals, starting with Meriwether Lewis. Where was he from and how did he grow up? Uh, we're talking about Meriwether Lewis. Well, he was he was from Virginia, and uh, he grew up in a, in a wealthy enough family, and uh, they were friends with the Jeffersons. And, and Lewis actually went to work as Jefferson's private secretary for a while, and so he 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 was an, an affluent, educated, interesting individual. Um, he he was almost too interesting. <laughs> Uh, because he uh, he had some trouble getting along with people, and he was he was somewhat opinionated. I mean, he did not he did not read the room well. Did he have a, a formal education? And on top of that, what kind of experiences did he have that would later lend themselves to this Corps of Discovery mission? Uh, yeah, well, he was he was quite well educated. Um, for some reason, I'm blanking out on the college, but I believe it was UVA, and uh, much more so than William Clark, who grew up in a large, more frontier-like family. And, and Clark, uh, we'll talk about him later, but he was the, the ninth of ten children. On Meriwether Lewis, um, how did he first catch the attention of Thomas Jefferson? Because they were from Charlottesville, and uh, they just got to know each other there. And and uh, then Jefferson, Jefferson, when he became president, initially hired Lewis uh, to be his secretary and got to know him much better. You touched on his uh, personality a little bit, Meriwether Lewis's personality. Tell us more about what he was like. Well, I mean, one of the things about about uh, Lewis is that he was he was a fanatic. He he. These days, we would say he he was on the spectrum someplace. He had great powers of concentration. He measured everything. He was a would-be scientist. So when he goes on the expedition, he writes down the name of everything. He brings out a tape measure and measures literally the height of an anthill. He, if he catches a fish, he counts how many, how many scales the fish has. And how, he measures how wide the mouth of the fish is. So he tried to quantify things. Um, and that was the way he thought, and that made him comfortable if he could do that. He was uncomfortable in a social setting and reading the room, and uh, and so he he wasn't good at that, and that uh, that cost him later because when he became governor of Missouri of the Louisiana Territory, I should say, he um, he couldn't really work well with people, and he he made enemies and people challenged him to duels and. So he got into trouble that way, and, and, and that led to his problems. Let's uh, dig in a little bit to the early life of William Clark then. Uh, again, uh, uh, the early part of his uh, life, what do we know about that period and, and what shaped him? Well, Clark, 
um, was an adventurous man and an outgoing man. By the way, both Lewis and Clark were bigger than most people. They were both around 6'2", which was a half foot larger than most American men were then. For example, no one realizes like Daniel Boone was 5'8", much smaller. Um, anyway, the uh, Clark was in a large frontier family, and his parents had ten children, and he was the ninth of ten. So he grew up in a big family. He knew how to. He had no choice. He learned how to get along with people, and so he, he did that very well. And his older brothers, uh, two of them became generals in the uh, Continental Army. Um, that was the famous George Rogers Clark, his eldest eldest brother, who was a hero, a, a military hero of the frontier. And so he was heavily influenced by them. And Clark moved, the whole family moved from Virginia to Louisville, Kentucky. And so they were, they were really living on the frontier. And I can add just one comment about both of them, kind of comparing them. Now, we, we tend to think of his, uh, and legend as, as pairs of men as being opposites. Uh, so we have uh, Abbott and Costello, we have, we have uh, Dr. Sherlock Holmes and, and Dr. Watson, and we, and we have all of these opposites. And, but Lewis and Clark um, were both very intelligent, and they were, they were not so much opposites as they were different. They were just different personalities, so you had to, you had to read them differently. And the, and the men of the expedition, the 33 men they commanded, really respected them both, but in a different way. I mean, typically during the expedition, Lewis would be walking alone by himself on the, on the, uh, on the riverbank, and Clark would be with the men in the boats, kind of commanding the actual voyage itself. Explain for us uh, how they actually came together. First of all, uh, did they know each other before Lewis asked Clark to join him, and were they considered friends? Um, they knew each other briefly in the Army, and they were both posted to the same place in Ohio, and uh, in Pittsburgh, I think. And they, um, and, and they were both sort of mutually impressed with one another. And, and Clark outranked uh, Al Lewis at that time. And so, and so they knew each other. And so when, um, when Lewis... Uh, asked Clark if he would join the expedition you know, in their voyage, or Clark immediately agreed because he knew Lewis and so respected him. You mentioned that they were both physically uh, large men, at least larger uh, than others, uh, most others for the time. Both had military backgrounds. How did the military prepare them for what was to come with this two-year mission? Well, they were commanders, and they were soldiers, and they uh, they got the job done, and they, that's what they tried to do. So it's almost a familiar American type. Um, they 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 took the orders from Jefferson, and Jefferson gave them long, complicated orders. You know, find the best way to the Pacific, get to know the tribes, you know, figure out what's out there, and uh, and they worked very very hard to do that. And the, and, and the important thing is they wrote it all down. This is, I don't want to get ahead of myself here, but they, they took the time to write their journals, and their journals are the, are the greatest journals in the history of all exploration. There's, you know, the, the official published version now 
you know, it was about 15 volumes, big, thick volumes. And, and they uh, it's a beautiful edition put out by Gary Moulton at the University of Iowa. And, um, and uh, I did a tiny, smaller edition. You can put it in your back pocket. That was my point. But, but still, it, it is uh, – and it's literature. It has, uh, you, you know, a great narrative. We're going to find the Pacific. It has interesting characters. And so we have the two captains, but we have Chicago Wheel, the Indian woman. We have the baby. We have the various enlisted men with uh, very interesting issues. And so it's full of characterizations, and it's full of the human voice. And so, I mean, people, Hemingway, Hemingway famously said that American literature began with Huckleberry Finn because of its use of the vernacular. But you see the vernacular in the Lewis and Clark journals, you know, way before that. And, and they're, they're, they're talking, uh, they, they say, I woke up as hungry as a wolf. Uh, you know, and they're mosquitoes, they spelled like mosquitoes uh, all around. And the, the Indians wear moccasins, and so they, they spelled it moccasins. And so they there's a sort of uh, misspellings and illiterate. I wouldn't call it illiteracy, but there's comical misspellings, and and the and it's lit, but it's, it's literature, and the way that it, it commands your attention. And it's sort of you read the journals, it sort of grabs you by the throat. But by the way, did Lewis and Clark have their own families? Did they ever what? Did they have their own families back home? Oh yes, excuse me. Uh, Lewis uh, never married. And um, and Clark had a Clark had a family and children, and was a good father to his children. And he sent he sent at least once on the West Point, and, uh, he, and he wrote letters to them. But but Lewis, uh, you know, was I mean today we also call him a loner. He he was a loner. Tell us more about their actual roles during the expedition. You touched on this a little bit, uh, Lanny Jones. But looking back on that history, how did they divide uh, yeah. things up? Well, one thing I did to understand their roles was to understand what the enlisted men was, what what uh, was important to them. And when you look up, um, you could do a word cloud, you know, where a computer analyzes every word in their journals and t- tells you how often they appear. And the the most frequent word is uh, river. Uh, which is not all that surprising. That's where they were. That's what they were doing. They were on rivers the whole time. And they, um, but the next most frequent words um, become uh, uh, great. Like it's great, like Great Falls and, and the Great Portage, and the, everything is great. And so uh, that tells you a little about their ambitions. And, uh, but then when you look at what the words the, um, the men used, to, a couple of enlisted men did their journals. And, and they, they talked only about Clark. And, and they say, Captain Clark did this and Captain Clark did that. And, uh, they don't even talk about Lewis because Lewis was a scientist. And he was off writing down things and, and creating very real uh, science. But that's what he did. They were certainly prolific writers in those uh, journals, uh, Lanny Jones. Tell us more about Lewis and Clark as communicators in other ways while they were on their journey. I'm speaking particularly about any negotiations they had to have with the Native people. Oh, the Natives, you say the negotiations they had with Native peoples? Yeah, what were they like in in communicating with them, in talking to them? Did one of them take the lead on all of this? Yeah, they were impressed. They, 
They, I mean, I mean, uh, William Clark's father, George Rogers Clark, had been a fighter against Indians, and um, and so you would imagine they might be suspicious of them, and uh, but but say as, as it turned out, the Indians helped them. So the, the Lewis and Clark depended on the kindness of strangers, as they say, and the strangers in this case were the Indians, who taught them how to how to get a canoe around the rocks by putting up a sail on the canoe and carrying it. And they taught them how to what roots they could eat and what roots they should not eat. And so they they told them about the science of survival. And so by the time Lewis and Clark got to the Pacific Ocean, and they were at what was called Fort Mandan, which was named after the tribe there, they they had nothing but great respect for the Indians. And then on the way back, the the expedition kind of stumbled, almost froze to death, stumbling out of the um, Bitterroot Mountains, and the Nez Perce tribe saved them and fed them and take care of them. And so the the respect that was engendered by the kindness of the of the tribes of the indigenous peoples made a huge impact on Lewis and Clark. And you see it in their journals and in their conversations later. And one of the sad sad things, and I'm gonna get way ahead, but but Clark later participated in the removal of the Indians because he thought he was doing them a favor to get them away from the from the whiskey traders and let them live by the, you know out in the mountains by themselves and and that did not really do them that great a favor. Lewis and Clark of course became uh, quite famous as a result of the expedition. What was it like for them personally? What did that fame mean to them personally? It's a little hard to read with Lewis because he uh he was a powerful person, and uh, he was the, the governor of the territory. And then Clark uh, became the, the governor of Missouri, and, um, and he became the most famous person in the West. And what did it mean to him? I think he took it seriously. And people came to call on him. For example, the famous writer Washington Irving, a classic Eastern writer, you know, came to came to came to St. Louis and met with Clark because he wanted to meet him. You know, the famous William Clark, and so uh, Washington Irving interviewed Clark and wrote about it. And uh, Clark later, when he died in 1938, the funeral procession for Clark's funeral was a mile long in St. Louis, and this is a mile of carriages and people walking, so it was a, a very long procession. Did Lewis and Clark benefit financially from the expedition? Yeah, I would say somewhat. I don't know if you can measure it in dollars exactly. They were more or less on expense accounts. But they were both government employees. They were both high-ranking government officials, both in charge of the territory, uh, the largest in terms of square acres, more territory they were in charge than anybody was in charge of except the president uh, because they were in charge of the frontier. You know, in every every inch, basically, the Louisiana Territory, sort of west of the Mississippi River, uh, they they more or less all uh, were responsible for it. Tell us more about the death of Meriwether Lewis, which we've read was a, a obviously a sad event, but uh, under uh, suspicious circumstances, at least in the uh, beginning. What can you tell us? Lewis went out and was going back to Washington. Lewis, uh, he had his suspense account challenged. And so he was going to Washington to argue about his suspense account. And he, uh, on the way, he dies in Tennessee uh, mysteriously in a, in a, uh, in a uh, cabin. In a, he had rented a cabin. 
and then he and he shot there. And that uh, it's generally thought, and I, I certainly think, that it was a suicide. He just couldn't face the idea of going all the way to Washington and perhaps losing this. And Clark, who knew Lewis well, of course, um, also thought it was a suicide. And so the, uh, you know, it's like JFK. There, to me, it was a single bullet and one shooter, and the shooter was Lewis. Um, Clark died more conventionally. He survived cholera in St. Louis, and and then he died, basically, I believe, basically of pneumonia in St. Louis, and uh, somewhat of old age. He 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 lived. He, as I said, he had nine brothers and sisters, and he outlived them all. And he sort of dies of old age uh, in his uh, in his house in St. Louis, and uh, so he had a satisfying life. I think he was about sixty eight when he died. From your that isn't that old these days, but that's mm, what it was then. I was going to ask, uh, uh, Mr. Jones, uh, from your own work, your own research, observation of Lewis and Clark, what else would you want our listeners and, and TV viewers to know about the two of them? Maybe something we didn't learn uh, when we were all in school. What have what we not covered that you would want to point out? Oh, that's a good question. I, I think it's the it's the relationship between the two of them and how they made it work, and and then. The fact that they did that, and then they wrote a great piece of literature, and they wrote it as writing. The journals were not like a daily diary you just turned in every day. They wrote things down, but then they rewrote it. They left things blank, and they filled them in later. I mean, Lewis especially did this when he sees the Great Falls of, of the Missouri he he goes back and fills it in with a better description. He's a typical writer. He goes home and says, you know, I could write this better. And he tries to write it up better. And so I just like the way that they, they created a book of literature, I mean, a work of literature together. And the, and the men did the same. And the, and the respect that they each engendered in different ways. And the, and the other important thing to know is that the prevailing myth was that the West was empty. You know, there was nothing there. But what what they discovered and wrote down and put on the maps was that the tribes were there, and they were all over the place. And so they wrote, when Clark published his map, which became the governing map for the rest of Western exploration in America, it showed where the mountains were, yes, and the rivers were, yes, but it also showed where the tribes were. And we people tried to conveniently ignore that later, but... But he made it very clear that it was a populated West. And that's the thing to know is that it was uh, not an empty West. It was a populated West. Leads me to my final question. What would you say is the legacy of Lewis and Clark and their place in our history? Uh, the legacy is that they, they, they gave us the wilderness that made it America. And the, and the idea that we were a Westerning nation, that, that our dreams were westward, uh, really came from Lewis and Clark. It wasn't the, the, the dream of expansion did not end at the, uh, at the Mississippi River. They, they made it a Westerning nation, and that really governed American history for the next century. Thank you, Lanny Jones, author and magazine editor for the uh, biographies of Lewis and Clark. Appreciate it. Thank you so much. It was enjoyable talking to her, Paul. Thanks for listening to the Books That Shaped America podcast. For more information about the series, you can visit our website, cspan.org slash books that shaped America. 
And remember to follow this podcast so you never miss an episode.